Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about home-wrecking horrors and killer encounters. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Word Dogger and Ryan Harville are voice talents Mick Dark and Drew Blood. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Word Dogger and is performed by Mick Dark, the newest addition to our lurid lineup. Mick's new series of the same name can be found on our YouTube channel, where you'll find two new weekly releases from him and a playlist with all his stellar stories compiled in one easy-to-find place. So if you enjoy his rendition of tonight's dark tale, please do him a favor and check him out, and let him know that Steve sent you. In our first round of frightening fiction tonight, we'll be transported from the comfy confines of our living spaces to the murky, humid swamps of the Florida Everglades, where we'll soon discover that bloodthirsty mosquitoes are the least of our concerns. Without further ado, I present to you, There's Creatures in the Everglades. I've lived in the Everglades all my life, most of it just south of Little Shark River on the west side of Oyster Bay. 
My place is right on the edge of the water, and my nearest neighbor is over a mile away. That's how I like it, too. I ain't that fond of people as a rule. I had me a little red-bone hound named Skeeter for the last five years. I spent a lot of time out on the glades hunting and fishing. No matter where I was going, he'd come along. I heard him barking up a storm out by the water early on Sunday morning about three weeks ago, though. I ain't seen him since. I've been worried that maybe a gator got him or either that or someone took him. I'd almost rather be a gator. I got a chicken coop out beside my house where I've been keeping four laying hens. The building itself is small, maybe six by ten. And just like my house, sits up on stumps about two feet off the ground in case my yard floods. Last Saturday morning, I went out to gather eggs and one of my hens was missing. I looked around a good while and never saw no sign of her. It could have been a bird of prey that got her, but I figured it was more like coyotes. They've been getting a lot braver these last few years, not as shy of people as they used to be. Plus, Skeeter ain't been around to warn them off. Also, I've noticed the chickens ain't been coming out in the yard as often as usual, which is a pretty good sign that there have been predators around. This morning, like I always did, went out to get eggs and discovered that my hen population has gone from three to two. I was more than irritated. I was flat out mad. I understood that coyotes and other critters had to sustain themselves just like me, but there are plenty of things out in the wild for them to eat. They didn't have to come for my chickens. Plus, they scared my other hands to the point that they wouldn't lay. I was gonna have to eat breakfast without eggs. I looked around inside the coop, but I didn't see no sign of coyote or fox or anything else for that matter. So I went outside to see what I could find. Rain yesterday, so I should have been able to find some tracks of some sort. I looked all around the coop, though. Didn't find none at all. I was curious, mighty curious. I reckon it was possible that she'd wandered off down by the water, but that would have been unusual as well, especially for my chickens. My chickens stayed close. I'd never seen any of them wander off down towards the water. I was walking back toward the house when I saw something peculiar. Look to me like there was a pair of eyes watching me from beneath the coop. Just little glints of light I could see in the dark. I didn't want to get too close in case it was something that might have come at me, like maybe a rabbit coon or a fox, but I got as close as I dared and bent down real low. It's definitely a pair of eyes, but they didn't seem like no coon or no fox. Didn't look like no gator, neither. Unless it was a mighty small one, the eyes were just too close together. Finally, I decided to shine the light from my phone and see what it was. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me by then, but what I saw beneath the coop was a snake. Now, when I say snake, I don't mean a rat snake or a chicken snake. I mean a big-ass snake, like a python or an anaconda. Swear to God, its head looked like it was as wide as both my fists put together. And it was hard to tell because it was all curled up on the ground, but parts of its body looked to be as big round as my leg. I won't lie, it scared the shit out of me. Probably because I hadn't been expecting it. It wasn't all that long ago that there wasn't any python or anaconda in the glades, but... But then ignorant city folks start getting them as pets. Once the snakes had grown and the people I'd realized they'd wound up with more than they bargained for, they'd just go let them loose in the glades again. Given that the snakes didn't have any natural predators in these parts, they've apparently done pretty well for themselves. Personally, I don't have nothing against the big snakes as a rule. It weren't their fault that they got put here. Just like everything else, they were doing what they had to do to survive. This snake in particular, though, had most likely eaten two of my chickens. Come to think of it, as big as that snake was, it might have been what got Skeeter. That made us blood enemies, me and that snake. And I intended to set things right. 
I went up to the house and got my shotgun, and on the way back, I was already thinking about the belt or the hat band or even the boots I might get made from its hide. Big as it was, I could probably pick and choose. I got back down to the coop and shine under it with a proper flashlight, and to my surprise and discomfort, the snake was gone. That was startling. I gave a quick look around to be sure, but I wasn't about to get attacked. There was no sign of the snake. I gave a quick look inside the coop. There sat my two chickens looking at me like they wanted to ask a question, but were just too stupid to know what to ask. But they were alone. No signs of the snake inside. I went back out and started looking, making bigger and bigger half circles until I'd finally made it down to the water and saw several places that looked like where maybe a snake had slithered through, but couldn't be sure. I just hadn't been around enough of them to know for certain. Anyway, after about half an hour of looking, I decided that maybe I should put something up around the base of the coop to keep the snakes from coming back and hiding in there, where it couldn't lie and wait for my hands. I took some chicken wire and nailed it all the way around the building and then staked it into the ground till it was nice and snug. That snake would have to do some damage to itself to get past that wire. Otherwise, it would have to wait out in the open where it'd have to deal with me. It was a hot, muggy day already, so I was muddy and dripping with sweat by the time I'd finished with the chicken wire, so decided to take a shower before I'd breakfast. No great loss. I even didn't have any eggs. So I showered, which made me feel better all by itself. Once I got out, I caught my reflection in the mirror, so I stopped and gave myself a look. I could probably use a shave, but I hadn't given my straight razor a good stropping in a while, which meant it would yank my whiskers out as much as it would cut them off, so I just didn't bother. Started from my bedroom with my towel draped over my shoulder. I barely put my first foot out of that bathroom and into the hall when I saw it. Just a flash of something low and large coming at me. In that same instant, the big snake hit my leg high up on the thigh and the force of the impact knocked me off my feet and sent me crashing to the floor. And I heard people talk about how something or other seemed surreal, but I'd never truly understood what they meant until then. The pain in my thigh was immediate. I knew the snake wasn't venomous and that it didn't have fangs, but its teeth were plenty big and plenty sharp. I could feel them tearing away at my thigh muscle. It all happened in a hurry, too. By the time I'd found my bearings, I was lying on my side with that big snake wrapped around my leg two or three times and its mouth latched hard on my thigh. My God, that thing's head was huge. It looked to me like its mouth had bit down over halfway round my thigh, and I wasn't a small man by any means. That snake was still trying to get itself around me, too, around my middle. It already trapped one of my arms against my side, but the other one was free. I started banging on the snake, anywhere I could get at it, but it didn't seem to make any difference at all. It was solid, almost like a piece of wood covered in scaly skin, and my blows just glanced off it without making a difference. Whew, it was heavy, too. Bigger round than I could have reached with both my hands. It was all I could do to just raise myself off the floor with one arm free. But when I did, that snake managed to get another coil around my middle, more up towards my chest. By then, the lower half of my leg had started to ache from all the blood being trapped in it. My foot was tingling with a thousand pinpricks. A snake was working its jaws too, digging its teeth further into my thigh. I got a glimpse of my foot. It was starting to turn purple. I think it was about then that my shock began to turn into panic. I could feel the snake starting to squeeze like constant pressure getting heavier and heavier on my middle. It was starting to affect my ability to breathe too like each breath I took was just a little bit smaller than the one before. A new wave of panic set in. Or maybe it was determination. Either way, I used my free leg to start kicking at the snake. 
the part that was wrapped around my other leg. Like when I'd be hitting it, didn't seem to phase a snake. I'd start rocking back and forth when I'd kick at it, though. And before long, it seemed to me that the snake's coils around my middle were shifting. Like maybe it was trying to get its grip up higher. I was in full fight mode by then. And before too long, I managed to pull my arm free and lean up against the wall. Just then, though, the snake tightened the length of its body and one of the coils was straight across my chest. It squeezed down hard and I could feel my lungs starting to seize up. Like I said before, I'd lived in the glades all my life and I've been out in the wilderness since I was a little boy. I've run up against gators and water moccasins, snapping turtles and panthers, hurricanes and droughts. Every danger there is the glades has got to offer, but never in my wildest dreams did it occur to me that I'd be taken down by a giant snake. One that wasn't even native to Florida. It truly was surreal. In the most bizarre sense of the word. I was hardly able to do more than pant by then. Snake kept tightening its grip on my chest with its powerful coils. Little by little. Inch by inch, taking away my ability to fill my lungs... I was starting to feel lightheaded too, like maybe I was going to hyperventilate. I'll admit, I was terrified. It was like I was staring the end right in the face, and there weren't nothing I could do about it. Thing was, I wasn't ready to die. No matter what the cause, I didn't feel that my time on Earth was supposed to end just yet. I was in a bad fix. But I wasn't done. Not while I still had any breath at all in my body. That's when I remembered my straight razor. It was sitting on the sink. After working at it, I managed to turn my body enough for my free foot to push against the wall, moving me in the direction of the bathroom door. But not only had the snake incapacitated one of my legs and hampered my ability to breathe. It was also heavier than hell. Trying to move with it all wrapped around me like trying to shove a bathtub full of water. I wouldn't relent, though. I finally managed to grab a hold of that door jam with both hands. And then I could pull with my arms and push my legs. I got myself about halfway through that bathroom door, and then I rolled over onto my back right next to the legs that held up the sink. My muscles were running out of air by then, though, and it felt like I was losing my strength. I tried to roll on my side, but I wasn't able. Snake seemed to have readjusted itself around my chest in a way that seemed to give it more leverage, and it was squeezing me harder than ever. For a second, I thought I was about to pass out, but... I fought it as hard as I could, fought to take in as much air as was possible. Finally, I managed to push myself to my side. I took hold of one of the sink's legs and started pulling. I pulled as hard as I could with every ounce of strength I had left in me until my hands reached the top of the sink. I held myself up with one hand and frantically searched around the surface with the other. Just when I thought my arms were about to give way, I felt the razor. Tried to grab it, but only managed to knock it on the floor as I lost my grip on the sink, and it bounced to the front of the commode. Not to be deterred, I managed to take in a few sips of air, and I started rocking my body. I rocked until I finally toppled over, banging my head against the side of the tub in the process, but that had got me close enough. I took up the razor and started trying to cut the snake, first one place, and then the other. But I was having little luck. I really had let that razor get dull. I focused the blade on one spot, right over its chest, and finally started making a little progress. The snake didn't relent, though. In fact, it seemed to intensify its grip. I felt something pop inside my chest, like a rib breaking and pain immediately seared through me. I had no choice but to stop cutting. 
I fell over against the wall, feeling like I was about to black out, and through the tunnel of what was left of my vision, I saw that snake's head still latched onto my thigh. Probably as a reflex more than anything else, I reached the razor at the snake's head and started slashing hard as I could, over and over. Next thing I remember was seeing my bloody thigh, blood flowing from the wounds. Then there was a snake's head coming at me, and my face, at my hand that was holding the razor. I just kept slashing at it, punching and kicking with my good leg. About then, it occurred to me that I could breathe. It hurt to, but I could take in air. The snake had loosed its grip upon my chest. It was about then that the snake struck right at my face. It knocked me back against the wall and latched on from below my chin to the top of my forehead. I was nothing but a pile of desperation by then, though, and I kept slashing. At some point, I got the razor up next to the snake's jaw, and I started sawing pretty soon to let my face go and fell away. I tried to stand up, but I didn't have the strength, so I just started kicking at it with my good leg. I kept that leg going like a piston, like a crazy man, screaming and cussing all the while. Pretty soon, I realized that all the coils had pretty much fallen away from me, and at least they were loose enough to where I could wiggle my way out then. So I did. I rolled over next to the commode and kept kicking and yelling. Snake sort of regathered onto itself like it was preparing to come back at me. It occurred to me that most of its body was either in the hall or the bathroom door threshold, though, so I made a snap decision. I lunged at the snake before it could lunge at me, and I grabbed that door and I tried to slam it shut. I wasn't able to because the snake was still partially in the way, and damn, it was truly heavy as hell. But I was on the one side of the door and it was on the other. I kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing until finally I was able to close the door all the way. Once I heard the latch catch, I collapsed to the floor, thoroughly exhausted and heaving for breath. It was only then that I felt that pain in my chest again. Like somebody was stabbing me with a knife with every breath I took. The pain was better than not being able to breathe, though, so I kept on breathing. I don't know how long I lay there. It was a while. But I finally came around. This wasn't over. I still had a huge snake in my house. And the only thing separating me and it was my bathroom door. Aside from the straight razor that had been my salvation, there weren't anything else in the bathroom of any use to me. Well, that wasn't entirely true. There was rubbing alcohol and gauze and tape. I could clean and dress my wounds, so that's what I did. The wound on my thigh was pretty gruesome. There was blood all over my leg. I wiped it down and washed it off best I could and gave it a good look. It was all mangled and still bleeding, but at least it wasn't pulsing. That snake hadn't got to an artery. Still, I had lost some blood, and I needed to do what I could do to slow it down. I poured the rubbing alcohol over it, burned like a son of a bitch, and then I wiped it down again and wrapped it up as tight as I could with the gauze and tape. In one sense, I thought, I've been pretty lucky. Had that snake took hold of me about two inches higher than it had, could have done some real damage. My hands were all cut up as well. Some were probably from the snake's teeth and some from the razor, but none of them appeared to be too bad. I tried to stand up so I could wash them off in the sink. I found that I wasn't really able to. I had to pull myself up against the wall and then lean on the sink to keep my balance. My bad leg was still pretty useless. Felt like dead weight. Still, I washed my hands and took a look at myself in the mirror. I was a pretty ghoulish sight. Had blood all over my face. 
I washed it off and saw pretty much what I'd expected. There was an oval ring of little cuts from the top of my forehead down my nose and under my chin and back up the right side of my face. That snake had took hold of me. Like the cuts on my hand, though, none of them were bad. I just kept washing them off and putting pressure on them until they'd all stop bleeding. I was worn out. I took a seat on the commode and started thinking. Above everything else, I was elated to be alive, but I knew I still had some hurdles to clear. I thought about trying to get out the bathroom window, but it was little and way up high. I didn't think I'd be able to get myself out of it in my present condition, and even if I did, what would I do next? Like I said, my nearest neighbor was over a mile away. No way I was walking that far. Keys to my truck were in the kitchen, and so was my boat key. My phone was in the bedroom, sitting on my bed right next to my shotgun. Everything I needed at that moment was in one of those two rooms. And the one thing those two rooms had in common? I'd have to go out into the hall to get to either one of them. As far as I knew, that big snake was still right on the other side of that door. I knew I couldn't wait in the bathroom forever, though. Could be that somebody would come for a visit today, but it was more likely that nobody would come around for a week or more. Staying put was an option, so I made my decision. Got myself a drink, rested just a little bit more, and then crawled over to the door. My decision? Again, I grew up in the glades. I was going for the gun. It didn't take me long to work up my nerve. I turned the doorknob quiet as I could, and then I slowly brought the door in an inch, maybe two, until I could see just a little bit out in the hall. There's nothing there, at least not where I could see, and I opened up a little bit more, keeping my shoulder braced against it in case I had to ram it shut in a hurry, but still, that snake didn't show itself. Of course, I fully expected it to attack as soon as I put myself out into the hall, so before I did, I stuck my hand out as a decoy. Nothing happened. So real cautious-like, I peeked around the door looking one way and then the other real fast. I didn't see a thing. I opened the door the rest of the way and as quiet as I could, which wasn't very, crawled out into the hall. Moved towards the bedroom real slow, partly to keep the noise down, but partly because I just couldn't go very fast. The hall looked like a long tunnel like you'd see in those scary movies where you knew the person headed down it was about to run into disaster. I kept going, though. I wasn't going to be kept from my own bedroom by a snake, no matter how big it was. I finally made it to the threshold, and I could see the butt of my shotgun hanging off the end of my bed. Nothing to do but keep going, so I did. By the time I saw it, though, it was too late. It had been coiled up across a pile of dirty clothes in the corner, and just like it had done before, it sprung out at me like a flash of lightning. Seemed like before I'd even been able to move a muscle. It had latched itself to my shoulder and knocked me onto my side. This time, though, instead of laying still while the big snake had coiled itself up around me, I got them moving. First thing I did was push back as hard as I could. Then I rolled forward. When I felt it coming up under me, I rolled towards it, sort of bringing it back against itself. It didn't let go, but it hadn't been able to wrap me up yet, neither. I tried to stand up so I could get to the bed, but... I wasn't able. My bad leg went out from under me, and I crashed back down to the floor. That's when it got to me. Before I knew it, it had two huge coils around my chest and started squeezing. My adrenaline was fueling me, but I knew. I simply didn't have the strength I'd had the first time around. I could feel the snake's grip getting tighter and tighter. I knew I wouldn't be able to fight for long. As fate would have it, though, we'd fallen to the floor right at the foot of my bed. 
There sat the butt of my shotgun right over me, just waiting to be taken hold of. I still had my one good arm, so I reached up and grabbed it, and then I gave it a good pump. The snake's head was too close for me to put the muzzle on it, but it was a big snake. There were a lot of targets. I wedged the barrel underneath it and forced the muzzle against its neck as close to the head as I could get, and then I pulled that trigger. I don't think I'd ever heard a shotgun discharged inside a house before, but the blast was deafening. My ears started ringing all I could smell was the gunpowder, right away. I could smell the blood too, and I could see where I'd splattered all over the wall. The snake's neck was so thick though, the blast hadn't blown it clean into. I gave that gun another pump, and then I gave the snake another blast. That time the snake's body fell away, leaving its head hanging from my shoulder by its teeth. I took a hold of the snake's head and pulled it off me, then I flung it across the room. Snake's massive body was still moving in spasms, but nothing that felt like it had intent. I slawed off the coils from my chest, and then I sat on the edge of my bed and just stared at that snake on the floor. Must have been... Sixteen, maybe eighteen feet long. How in the hell had it found its way up underneath my chicken coop? And how in the hell had it found its way into my house? Probably never know the answer to the first question, but sure as hell was going to figure out the answer to the second. If there was one of those monsters out there, there's bound to be another. And I had no intentions of going through what I'd just gone through again. I probably needed to go to the doctor so he could see about my leg and my ribs, but for the time being, I wasn't about to go nowhere, except to my kitchen, or more specifically, to my refrigerator. I grabbed me a cold beer and took it to my recliner, even though it was before noon, and I took me a good long drink. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed There's Creatures in the Everglades, as written by Word Dogger and performed by Mick Dark. As a reminder, you can hear more of Mick, the latest addition to our voice acting team, on our official YouTube channel. Just search for him by name, Mick Dark, or watch for his latest releases, with two new tales to terrify each and every week. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by the very talented and critically acclaimed Ryan Harville, and performed by another new member of our macabre menagerie, Drew Blood. If you enjoy Drew's performance, please check out more of his work on our channel as well, under a series of the same name. Drew is releasing brand new content every week as well, so you've got plenty of catching up to do, and plenty more to come. In Drew's latest contribution to our cryptic compendium, we'll meet a gentleman who's got some rather dark secrets, and he's ready to confess. But can you handle the truth? Stay tuned and find out. Now, without further ado, I present to you, You've Seen the Butcher. Hello. If you're listening to this, then I've been found, and there will be questions. Oh yes, 
questions aplenty. I'm sure the first of which will be why. And that is a great one to start with, but it's also the one which doesn't have an answer. Not a satisfactory answer anyway. At least to most people. I can explain what happened, but I don't think you'll find meaning in the sequence of events. I had no childhood trauma, no deep-rooted anger issues involving either of my parents. They were kind, loving people, so I will give you the simplest answer I can. Here's a glimpse between my gears as they turn against each other, grinding and shredding little shavings of metal that stick in me like thorns. There's a catalyst to everything I've done. Wet leaves and meat. That's the smell. Whenever I get the urge, it makes its way into my sinuses, making the hairs in my nose stand up and tickle me. I used to work in a cubicle. It doesn't matter what I did there. No more than it matters what you do at your job because jobs don't matter. Not really. A six by six square was my entire world for hundreds of hours every year. I ate lunch at my desk most days to avoid the office break room. I was never very good at small talk and too much human interaction makes me tired. It was a day, just a day, nothing special about it at all. I finished my sad microwave meal and stared at my monitor, imagining I could see the individual pixels there, and, and I was just gone. The monitor changed to a blinding white light like the sun reflecting off of sand dunes. I watched her squinted eyes as stark black letters materialized. Feed disconnected, it read. And it was. A plug was pulled inside of me, like someone tugging on my intestines. And I was no longer part of the world. And the smell wafted in. Slimy black leaves slipping through the teeth of a rake. In the coppery tang of a butcher's back room. I floated. Not literally, of course. I'm not crazy. But nothing held my consciousness anymore. Whatever machinations keep us within our bodies, those tethers were gone. I was unbound. I stood on shaking legs and left my cubicle, only bothering to grab my keys and my wallet. I drifted then. I know it was early afternoon when I left, but the next I remember... It was night and my feet were sore from walking. I can't explain what happened in those walking hours. There was nothing supernatural about it. My feet was disconnected. I eventually found myself outside of a bar near the bridge downtown. I walked in and the smell assaulted me. Wet leaves and meat. <laughs> I slipped between people, navigating through the crowd with my nose in the air. I felt like a bloodhound, and in a sense, I guess that's what I was. She sat at a low table near the back, behind a warped pool table, its dull balls all gathered in one corner. The closer I got, the stronger the smell became, overpowering the scent of cigarettes and spilt beer. I sat opposite her and gave her what I hoped was a charming smile. Here's the thing about being disconnected, free from the pool of any emotional tides. You can act any part. I was charming, the absolute soul of wit and grace. I introduced myself and asked if she would like some company. She was surprised, but said yes anyway. That was Julia. Everyone knows everything about her now, but she was just a stranger to me that night. I didn't know she was there to drown the thoughts of her husband and his mistress. I didn't know she was upset about turning 45 that week. 
I didn't know she had a kid in college and one in high school. But understand this. It wouldn't have changed the outcome if I had known. She was marked by the smell coming off her in waves. After a few more drinks and some increasingly arousing conversation, we slipped out the back door and into the shadowed alley. She was all over me in an instant. A starving animal. I could feel her lust, her middle-aged desperation. I could almost hear her thoughts through her urges. Feel me. Listen to me. Fuck me. Love me. Love me. Love me, please. <laughs> I listened, then I led her out of the alley. We walked down the street, the overhead lights a baleful orange. When the smell became stronger, I knew we had arrived. A building closed for renovations, its windows covered with plywood. I reached my hand through a crack and pried up a corner, then pulled the wood away enough for us to fit through the gap. <laughs> she giggled as I laid her down upon the unfinished floor. The smell of sawdust was almost strong enough to cover the smell of rot. I felt nothing for her. Not lust and not love. The feel of her tongue in my mouth was meat. The smell of her breath was mold. But my body responded appropriately. Now this. This is where it was all clear. As I reached in my pocket and drew the knife... And where had that come from? The world came into clarity for a brief second. I could see everything. The dark didn't matter. And the colors, oh, the colors were an epiphany. The yellow caution tape was a solar flare. The red of a toolbox, the heartblood of the universe. We began our dance of flesh. Our exchange of momentum and the smell grew stronger. And I stabbed her through the neck. And as her movements grew weaker, the world grew brighter. I was real again, connected. She collapsed to the floor, her head to one side, her eyes on me. And the smell was gone, or at least it had retreated. I let go of her hair and withdrew from her. I stood up, hands slick with blood. It was warm, and it was life, and it was reality. Within a few breathless moments, it became darker, the light and color bleeding away, and then the world was like me, blank and empty. I would say that I was stunned, but I didn't feel much of anything but loss. But I knew then, I knew, that if I wanted to be real again, then I would have to work. To sacrifice. A week went by. I sat in my apartment staring at nothing, just floating along. I eventually turned off my cell phone. The constant calls from work and family were filling my voicemail box, and I found it irritating, like sand between my teeth. In the in-between of nothing, just hovering in the dark, I knew things. I knew that I had to create a trail that wasn't a trail, a chaotic straight line. I had to plan, not just to hit bars for married women desperate for attention, I had to branch out, but I shouldn't have worried about it. <laughs> the smell always drew me to where I needed to be. It came back, flowing beneath my front door. I quickly grabbed my keys and headed out. I drove with my window down to make the following the trail easier. My head stuck out of it, flicking my tongue like a sniffing snake. After half an hour... I began to have doubts, but soon enough the smell grew overpowering. I turned into the drive of an apartment complex, following the scent until I was parked in front of one of the buildings in the very back. I cut the engine, then picked the hammer up from the passenger seat. 
<laughs> Why, Hammer? Because the last time I used a knife. A chaotic straight line. Can you see it? Perfectly straight with beautiful corners. There was a young man smoking a cigarette outside of his apartment. The acrid smoke and the wet leaves and the meat all mixed. I felt dizzy. He saw me and raised an eyebrow, then asked if I was the one Smitty had sent. I nodded and smiled as if I knew who Smitty was or why he was sending someone. Then he listed the prices of various drugs he offered, which I knew nothing about. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I asked if we could go inside to discuss it. He nodded and led me in, tossing his cigarette onto the sidewalk and crushing it beneath his heel without losing his stride. It was a small place, almost devoid of furniture, with water stains on the ceiling. He gestured absently towards his roommate, a skinny bearded man wearing a headset. He was deep into some video game, his thumbs clicking and clacking across the buttons on the controller. I'm sure he saw a battle, a quest, or a puzzle. I only saw a white screen with establishing connection in black letters. We went to his bedroom and he introduced himself as Brian. I told him flatly that I didn't care, pulled out a $20 bill and tossed it down on the filthy carpet. I could tell he was angry, that the disrespect burned him like acid, but he said nothing. He lifted the corner of the mattress and grabbed his stash slowly as if he were in a dream, a nightmare he couldn't escape. That was close to the truth. He just didn't know that I was his way out. I drew the hammer from behind my back where I had hidden it beneath my shirt, the handle firmly tucked into my jeans. I put my free hand on top of his head and told him to look up at me. He did, and watched me raise the hammer. The look in his eyes was one of detached resignation, like he knew what this was, what I was. Brian continued to stare at me, even as I brought the hammer down. His skull cracked audibly. A fine spray of blood from his scalp landed on the nearest wall in dots and swirls and patterns, and oh dear God, it was geometry and secrets. I was real, and I swung the hammer again. Brian fell backwards, his legs folded beneath him. I dropped down to my knees beside him, my face hovering inches over his own. I inhaled deeply, and it was sweet and pungent, like caramelized onions on a hot skillet. I reveled in the real. The moonlight was silver waves pouring through the window, cold and beautiful, and I was an alien shore for it to crash against. I see you, butcher, the moonlight said. I see you well. There came a noise from behind me, and there stood the roommate, his mouth slack with surprise. <laughs> Can you imagine? You walk in and see your friend on the floor, his head a ruin of pulp and shards of bone, and above him stands a strange man in the moonlight with a dripping hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's comical, <laughs> really. When I think about it, I hear a laugh track. Like an old sitcom, the ghostly recordings of people long dead and laughing. <sighs> I moved quickly, swinging the hammer at his face, but for all his shock, he reacted faster than I anticipated. The hammer struck his raised arm, cracking his bones and making him screech. I threw myself at him, sending us both falling to the floor. He covered his head with his arms. The blow was meant to be a mercy, to end it quickly. But instead, 
It drove his lips into his mouth and crushed his teeth behind them. His scream was a garbled mess of bubbling red noise and teeth particulate that reminded me of a trumpet, although I couldn't tell you why. I kept swinging until he stopped moving. Well, most of them stopped moving. His heels continued to drum against the floor for a full 36 seconds, but I wasn't counting. <laughs> I rolled off of him and onto the hardwood floor of the hallway. I could see my pulse in my eyes, explosion after explosion, bringing colors across the ceiling. Bursts of fireworks, of starlight, of the light of creation. I was the center of gravity. I was the fulcrum. Planets revolved around me. And in that moment of elation, I collapsed into sleep. My dreams were sweet and syrupy. I could feel the juice of them run down my chin as I bit and chewed and swallowed. I devoured my dreams with the selfishness only a god can feel. When I awoke, I was, well, I guess the best way I can describe it, was hungover. I was disconnected, of course, and sluggish. My head pounded, and my arm ached from exertion. I lifted myself slowly, and the tacky blood pulled at my shirt, like the hook of a drunken fisherman. My knees threatened to buckle, but I wheeled them to be stable. I took the hammer away and left the apartment. Outside, the sunlight stung my eyes and turned my stomach. Being unreal didn't stop physical discomfort, but it dulled it. I believe now that I was still at least slightly real that morning. I had ascended the night before. I became. I evolved. For a brief time, I held the cosmos in my mind, and it was putty to be shaped. I had made two sacrifices, given two over to the rot, and I had been rewarded with godhood. If two had made me a god, what would three do? I passed a young boy sitting astride his bike. I raised my bloody hand in a wave and dropped him a sly wink and a grin. He slowly got to his feet on the pedals and rode off, turning his head to watch me as he went. He shouldn't have been worried. I'd never hurt a child. I'm not a monster. Weeks went by and my divinity drained from me like piss. I was disconnected enough to be inconsequential again. Julie's death had gone through a short news cycle, and Brian's and, and whatever the roommate's name was, they had had their time in the low-budget spotlight of local news as well. Neither of the crimes had been connected in any way, and why would they? One was a stabbing in a construction area downtown. The other was a bludgeoning, a half hour past the suburbs in the apartment of a drug dealer. But I kept my head down anyway, stayed inside, blended into the shadows in my hall closet where I was sleeping. The scent of bleach and fabric softener soothed me in the absence of rotten leaves and... and meat. When the smell came back, I would have cried in relief if I was connected and could feel. It attacked my nostrils like an invading swarm of parasites, filling me with rot, with rank, fecund darkness. I was ready. I followed the trail. I drove around for hours until past dark. Headlights coming from the opposite direction screamed at me as they passed, their bright shine passing through me because I wasn't really there. The smell drifted maddeningly close, only to retreat again. My bloodless knuckles popped as I squeezed the steering wheel tighter. Reality withdrawal was seeping in. It had to have been because I was getting angry. Beyond angry, 
I lunged forward and bit the steering wheel hard, sinking my teeth into the soft plastic and shaking my head back and forth like a dog. My gums began to bleed. I could taste it on my tongue. I drew my head back and stared at myself in the rearview mirror. Blood dripped from between my lips, and the reflection was dark, and I couldn't see my eyes. But they must have been there, because I could see my crimson teeth smiling back at me, and I was parked in someone's driveway. I don't remember how I ended up there. I didn't even know where I was. It was a ranch-style house, dusty red, with cream-colored shutters that reminded me of my teeth. Half hidden in the shadows of the passenger footwell was the hammer. It was black, with old blood and what looked like curds, but was secretly something else. I was sure of it. I reached across the seats and grabbed the handle and picked it up. It looked at me, and I looked at it, and we both nodded in some unspoken agreement that I didn't understand. But it seemed good enough for the hammer. I walked up the sidewalk lined with flower beds. The door was lit by a single bulb surrounded by a tempest of moths and squiggles that blurred when I tried to focus on them. I pushed the button nearby and could hear the chime of the doorbell echoing in the house. No answer, so I pressed it again. An older man opened the door a few inches and looked at me with eyes half-closed against the brightness of the bulb. I smiled at him and could feel the sticky blood between my lips as I watched his eyes widen right before I swiftly shouldered my way past him and into the house. <laughs> I shut the door behind me. The man had fallen on his back hard and was gasping for breath. I fell upon him, straddling his chest and swinging the hammer like a conductor's baton. Swift, fluid motions that felt choreographed, like I was a puppet made to dance. A wooden, unreal boy. But when the hammer connected and I felt the vibration of the blow travel up my arm, the gates opened and I was plugged in. I could smell fear in the urine that spread out from beneath him. I resisted the urge to lengthen my neck muscles and strike forward with my head like a viper. I wanted to bite him, to clamp down and pull, but didn't, because I may be a god, but I'm not an animal. A soft voice that was probably his wife's called from the hall, and I ran toward it swinging the hammer with abandon. Not even bothering to aim, and I think I was screaming, but it might have been the woman or no one. I didn't even know what I was hitting. She was just a mass of flesh in the dark, and I was the hammer, and I pounded her. <laughs> Blood rained down in the hot sprinkles on my face like sparks from a welder's torch. A drop landed in my eye. And I blinked and wondered that if there had been light to see by, would I have seen the world in red for just a second? The heap on the floor was meat, and I was not. I was celestial. The dark was pushed back, and I could see everything clearly. The woman was awful in a nightgown, overwrapped fruit that had fallen from a tree and burst. I sensed a heartbeat from further down the hall, and I walked through the mess and felt it squishing between my toes, and it was hot, and I realized I hadn't worn shoes. <laughs> a door stood half open, and I used my hammer to push it further, the wet metal leaving a thin trail of blood on the wood. There was another woman there, Edith, the man's mother. I knew that then, or I know that now. I don't know which. She was lying in bed, illuminated by a TV show and static, looking at me with roomy eyes. I took the last few steps to stand by her side, and my hands were shaking. She asked me in a whisper if I were him, and I said I didn't know, but I might be. It was hard to say. Edith reached her frail arm up 
and grasped my hand, and her skin was like tissue paper. She squeezed my hand, and I raised the hammer in my other one, and she whispered that it was okay. I felt the universe pull away from me, hooked and reeled in by her whisper. I swung just once, and the hammer went through her skull, and I felt nothing but confusion. There was no revelation, no epiphany, and on the white, black, white screen of the TV, the word disconnected stood four inches tall in bold black letter. I ran. That was some time ago now. Time is funny in my hall closet, and I'm not sure of the date now. Eons may be passing as I sit here. Talking into my phone, recording this for some reason that I used to know but have forgotten. There could be dinosaurs walking down my street right now, causing potholes with their thunderous feet, but I wouldn't know. The universe may have reached the limits of its expansion, and now it's snapped back like a rubber band, reversing time on its course to collapse into itself once again. All is quiet here. All is still. My phone has a tiny light slowly changing from green to red. It blinks at me. It's charge running out. And I want to cry because I know exactly what it feels like. My empathy for my phone light is complete and all-consuming. We're both blinking and we'll both die, but I don't know which one of us will go first. Now, now you've seen the butcher. And when the god of rot and stench consumes me, when he breaks me down to the tiniest elements, I will be reborn as his avatar, his son, a walking statue of fly-blown meat. <laughs> and then, you've seen the butcher. And when I return, I'll see you too. <laughs> I'll see you too. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed You've Seen the Butcher, as written by Ryan Harville and voiced by Drew Blood. If you enjoyed that tale, I encourage all of you to visit Mr. Harville's official website, RyanHarvilleWriting.com. Harville is spelled H-A-R-V-I-L-L-E. Again, that's RyanHarvilleWriting.com. You can also find his works on Amazon.com or connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget, you can hear more of our friend Drew Blood via his series of the same name on our official YouTube channel where you'll hear haunting new tales each and every week. If you check him out, be sure to give him a thumbs up and leave a kind word and tell him you heard him here on this program. It would mean a lot to me. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a five-star review, and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. 
Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.